This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. All right, well, welcome, and welcome back to... We yeah, forgot to look up the episode. To the next episode of Microscope. The latest, the greatest. The newest and greatest episode of Microscope that Kevin and I spent hours preparing for. Literally. Hours. Literally. Our entire lives are really focused around <laughs> 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 While I'm working in the lab, and I'm always constantly thinking about what this means in the larger social contexts. And what we want to bring from the lab to you guys. And we want to bring stuff that are not related to our research at all. Well, mine is. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Science is a connected enterprise. Ooh, that was a fancy title. Connected enterprise. All right, so wait, Kevin, is it my turn to go first or your turn to go first? It's definitely your turn because I went first last time. Well, then there we go. All right, so this week, same format. We're coming at you with two papers, uh, one each of our own choosing. And I stumbled upon what? I stumbled upon one that was actually went really well with previous episodes this season, I think. Maybe it was last season. I don't know. But it kind of... We have great memories. Yeah. This, essentially. And it essentially lines up with many of the things we talked about, such as sustainability, such as diet, and such as um, things that are going to have to change as it becomes less sustainable to have livestock in the conventional sense that we think of it. So the article I looked at this week um, the popular title on Pfizer, check out phys.org, P-H-Y-S.org for some cool science news. Their title this week was A Veggie Loving Fish Could Mean the New White Meat. And Wait, the new white meat? So it's no longer chicken? Because for a hot second there it was pork. You're right. And now it's fish. This could be the new one. Could be. It could be. Because of this particular fish's interesting attributes. And so this article is based on this paper titled The Genomic and Biochemical Evidence of Dietary Adaptation in a Marine Herbivorous Fish. And that last part is the really key part. This is an herbivorous fish, meaning he only likes to eat veggies. Or in its case, the algae that grow in the um, Pacific tide pools where this fish lives. The I'm gonna hold up, Pacific yeah. is that up by Washington State? Um, specifically, what latitude? I didn't get that. <laughs> okay, all right, <laughs> go for it. Sorry, Pacific Sorry. Ocean where this fish resides. Um, so I'm gonna butcher the scientific name. We got. Cibidicithis, sorry, Cibicithis, I believe is the correct fish way, because fish are it. Oh, wow, I'm making an ass of myself right now. That's fine. <laughs> it's only on the public public forum. Yeah, exactly. So people are not laughing at you. Yes. So <laughs> Cibicithis, Beolsius. Wait, can I try and pronounce it? Yeah. Cibicithis. No. Seb Sebidictheus. 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 
Viola Cias. Viola Cias. Yeah, lots of that Latin. Uh, oh, Latin, not Italian. Italian. Yeah. Might be. Well, Italian's a Latin-based language, right? Yeah, so are the yeah, Spanish yeah. and the, the French. The, yeah. Yeah. See, we learn all sorts of little cultural tidbits from this. Anyway, that's the scientific name. Very elegant. All right, get ready for this. The common name for that very elegant sounding fish is known as the monkey face prickleback. The monkey face prickleback. <laughs> yeah, no C B L C S for the fucking scientific <laughs> name. Commonly known as the monkey face prickleback. And what makes the monkey face prickleback a particularly interesting fish, again, it is herbivorous, and this I just learned. Of all the hundreds and thousands of species of fish in our waters on Earth, only about five percent of them are herbivorous. Huh? Uh, only plants or algae. That's like way less than I thought. Yeah, for comparison, about twenty-five percent of mammals are herbivorous, which kind of makes sense. Maybe there's twenty-five percent herbivorous, twenty-five percent carnivorous, and fifty percent omnivorous, Whoop. like us. Yeah, I think there's probably, like, not a lot of, like, vegetables or, like, plant life in the sea. I couldn't... Actually, I don't think there's any. I speculate on okay. the, uh, I mean, there's seagrass, there's seaweed, and obviously there's the picophytoplankton that inhabit every inch of the ocean. And it sounds like these guys don't eat them, but they eat larger um, algae. But anyway, still more or less a plant-based diet. And what this... Ew, is, these things are ugly-ass motherfuckers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Named, how do you think they got named the monkey face prickleback? Oh, yeah, wait, we'll, this is a YouTube we'll, video. We'll give you a quick, okay. a quick pic of it because he's a... Oh, my God. He's not a pretty-looking fish. Oh, he's kind of cute. He's kind of pretty. It's all about the angles and the filters. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to be better at Instagram, <laughs> too. This is on the website, Real Monstrosities. Oh, God. <laughs> wow, very flattering. Very flattering for him. Yeah, and so that idea of having a fish that only eats algae in a sustainability context is very attractive because instead of having to... Um, grow other insects or smaller fish that these um, fish might eat. You only have to have algal um, biogenerators. Is that the right word? Why are you whispering? Because uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Okay. <laughs> oh, bioreactors. Bioreactors, thank you, yes. Um, having just algal bioreactors is a lot um, less energy intensive than having to grow some sort of a feedstock to then feed to the fish. So if we can have algal bioreactors constantly pumping into the pools where we're growing our lovely monkey face prickleback, um, this could be a big push for um, sustainability of aquaculture in that sense. And given the um, recalcitrance of land that's arable for growing all the grains to feed livestock and all these things we've talked about in the past, this could be a really um, interesting endeavor in that sense. Um, but furthermore, what they talked about in the paper was they tried to figure out what is going on with this fish's physiology that is essentially allowing it to live off just this algae. And so they did a bunch of cool things. Number one, they sequenced its genome. Always a great thing. So the genome... Sequence the genome! Yes, always fun to do. 
I don't so, know why that was why I had to say it's spooky. Cause you're that's your that's your line. Oh, that's to make things thing. spooky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so again, the genome of an organism, an animal, a plant, a bacterium, anything that is the full set of instructions for all of the um, chemicals and chemical reactions that this organism can do by itself. So first they started off with figuring out what can it do, and then they did what is called transcriptomics. Now transcriptomics is sequencing all the RNA in an organism, and what that tells you is of that organism's specific toolbox, which is its genome, what tools is it actively using at any given time? And for animals... I like the way you said that. Thanks. That was really nice. I'm trying. Yeah. For animals, that's especially interesting because we obviously have different tissue types. Um, the cells in your eyeball are not doing the same thing as the cells in your stomach. So having the transcriptomic profile of the, the genes, the um, enzymes that are being expressed in either one of those circumstances is really telling to what exactly is going on physiologically. And they did this for each of the organs? They did this for several tissue types, most okay. of them in the digestive system. Okay, obviously. okay. Because the goal of the study was to find out what do these guys have that other fish don't have that allows them to live completely off algae. And they found um, basically what they expected. Um, <laughs> there was a lot more enzymes involved in um, carbohydrate metabolism than in lipid metabolism because of the... Um, ratios of those uh, types of molecules in their food stocks and this kind of just it, it was a very nice example of when you have a prediction and it was pretty much spot on with what the data um, with what the data said which doesn't happen a lot I can tell you from first oh my god it never fucking right happens yeah so that's always nice to read something about that so that's what these researchers did. And again, the broader societal impact of this research is really that this opens up the door as being a potential um, food source for human beings that would be quite sustainable given that um, its feedstock is just algae. This is a carbon neutral feedstock that can be um, readily deployed in aquaculture. And then I know what you're all thinking as well. Does it taste good? And what I got from the article was that <laughs> the direct quote from the principal investigator of the study. Uh, his name was Dr. Donovan P. German. Dr. German said of the taste of the monkey face prickleback, quote, the taste is actually delicate and mild. So I'm guessing it's something like tilapia. Not something as intense as like salmon. Like salmon or like yeah. tuna. Yeah, yeah, a little more mild. <clears throat> or like grouper. I know those yeah. fish have like very little taste. Yeah, very yeah. little taste. So you do the seasoning, you get it all the way, you make it taste the way you want to, and then you have yeah. protein essentially from plant fiber because that's all these fish. Did they taste. talk about how easy or difficult it would be to cultivate this fish? Because it wasn't the focus of the study. Okay. The study was very much a physiological okay survey of what they're doing at the genomic and transcriptomic yeah. levels because i would say like you know me who cultures like wild bacteria they're hard to get them to grow and like 
most of them grow in like a day. So I know whether things are working or not. And I just feel like to get a whole fish to grow in a large enough fish tank and like reproduce is probably difficult, probably super difficult. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, yeah, definitely. That is a little more difficult than it seems. Uh, my girlfriend's big into aquariums and holy shit, a lot of work goes into that. Lots of very fine tuning. Um, yeah, so that wasn't the focus of the study, but that was kind of the idea. Is like if you have an herbivorous fist as opposed to most fish, which are not, this opens up the door for more sustainable aquaculture. Yeah, because then like all you need is sunlight to feed those plants that grow. Feed the algae, which feed the fish. Right? Yeah, like, wow, that is all a... happening in one thing. That was kind of the big overarching idea. Yeah, that's fuck yeah, more money into vegetarian fish. Yes, <clears throat> and it's so. Did they? Look at anything in terms of the gut microbiome of the fish. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you those play a large role. Yes, they did. Amy. Oh, they did? They oh, okay. Did. Yes, they said it. That was just supposed was. to be a leeway into what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> but I want to know more about that. Yeah, they definitely, they didn't um, sequence the, do a, so when we sequence the genomes of many bacteria in a given sample, we call that a metagenome thing. Metagenomes. They know about metagenomes. Oh, we've talked about metagenomes. I've before. talked about metagenomes. Yeah, I am metagenome yeah. queen he of the Nile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was That's like a whole thing that had to happen. Yeah, but they did find um, indicator species of uh, short-chain fatty acid um, metabolism in the hindgut of this fish, so they know... There is that microbiota um, element to their metabolism, to their digestive system. Um, didn't go into a huge amount of detail, but that'd be great. That would if, be cool. If this guy's looking for graduate students, he's probably looking for someone to give that problem. But so, speaking about gut microbiome. And having just breakfast. And having just breakfast. Let's transition into what I want to talk about, which is, I don't know, how good is eating poop? Okay. <laughs> if we were some clickbait fucking website, that's what we would put as the title of this episode. Well, I'm trying to. I. I. Yeah. I. So, let's re, let's reword that. So, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with the title of the paper I want to discuss, and it's therapeutics treating the gut microbiome, rigorous pipelines for drug development. So. A lot of issues that go on in your digestive tract. So some of these include um, C. diff infections. Like if you've ever had any sort of um, antibiotic treatment that kills off all the bacteria that lives in your gut. And then this really nasty bug called Clostridium difficile basically grows and just makes you sick and you like diarrhea all the time. I'm not going to say I know anybody who got that. Not me. A family member did because he had half of his intestines cut out. Um, But different story. So C. diff is one of them. Um, Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel syndrome, uh, uh, ulcerative colitis. Okay, yes, I can speak words today. So all these are, you know, very... Gut microbiome driven diseases that occur in your intestines. And so, what a lot of research has shown is that when you take 
the gut microbiome from a healthy individual and transplant that into a person who has a diseased state by eating a pill of frozen poop, they That's get where better. The poop eating comes in. That's where the poop ge- ge- yeah, It's comes very un- unclimactic. It's pretty much it. And now that I'm talking about this, we might have talked about this on this show before, but I don't think I've yeah. ever gone too in depth on sort of like the pipelines and things to think about when, you know. Like, in my opinion, the reason why I really wanted to do this is this is a great, like, medication you can say for the future and i think this is going to help a lot of people but like for a drug to go into the line to become mainstream it has to go through all these things so title i said um and it's done by katie a markey uh and her uh team um and actually came out of the or came out of memorial sloan kettering cancer center which uh i used to work for maybe i shouldn't say that it's not a conflict it's not a conflict of interest. I don't work there anymore. They don't pay me. <laughs> they used to pay me. They don't pay me anymore. Um, but I, I love it. So shout out to my New Yorkers. What a thing. So, okay. <clears throat> you got something wrong in your gut, right? Um, let's say I have C. diff, okay? What you can do is take someone without C. diff, extract their healthy fecal matter and then transplant that into someone who has a disease. But there's obviously just saying this online and looking at Kevin who's giving me a weird face, but also not giving me a weird face. Yeah. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. I can see it in your eyes. No, but not, like not. Yeah, and so the idea behind that is the healthy person will have certain species of bacteria in their fecal sample that the person um, experiencing the disease state will not have. And so the idea is then to seed their gut microbiota with these beneficial bacteria by doing the fecal transplant. Yeah. And there's a lot of things to take into consideration. Like the first is that our current knowledge, we don't have a like defined microbiome composition for healthy people, right? So what we're doing now is taking people without C. diff, extracting their fecal matter and putting that in people with C. diff. And like, we don't really have an understanding of what mechanisms are allowing those people to get better from it. Um, and so they've done a lot of longitudinal, or okay, let me rephrase this. They've done longitudinal studies that have looked at how the microbiome changes within a healthy individual. Um, But they're very heterogeneous, right? Or they're very different across people because where they're living affects what bacteria um, are in their gut, what they eat, environmental factors, drug exposures, different medical conditions, and even just the genetics of that person are all things that play into what bacteria or what composition of microbes live in their gut so if you know my microbiome composition is probably very different from yours kevin i think we have different diets well, we probably don't we're i mean i try and eat a lot i don't have like a diet I just oh eat whatever's around okay yeah no I, I have like a little bit more of a diet where i try and like i don't know eat more veggies on occasion so our microbiomes are different but like if we were to give our fecal transplant to someone who has C. diff, 
they will probably get better regardless. So I think the first thing is we need to define sort of like the key players, like the key players that help sort of sequester like C. diff infection. I keep bringing that up because that's just easier to say. But that actually brings me back to my next, the second point of what we have to look at is in all of these different diseases, right? So C. diff, Crohn's disease, irritable downs or irritable bowel syndrome, <laughs> good catch, right? The microbiome composition is different in each of those diseases. And so it's both on what does that healthy person has and what is actually wrong within those people and how does combining those two microbiomes result in a healthy patient from a diseased person. Um, and then finally, right, like, so not only is it what's already there, but the actual gut of a person changes very frequently, depending on what food you eat, depending on, like, if you've exercised recently. So your gut microbiome is constantly changing. So depending on when you're treated with that fecal transplant, it may or may not hold. And that all just depends on whether or not your microbiome is receptive of that. And so there's a lot of these different players that like need to be taken into consideration to sort of like better understand how this drug can affect, how it affects, and what it's actually affecting. And these are all things where clinical trials are underway, but there's... It's hard to sell eating poop to people. <laughs> Especially when we don't quite know why it works. Exactly. We just know that it works pretty well. Um, but the idea is sort of like to move away from like these fecal transplants and sort of like if we have a better understanding of like what are good bacteria, what are the bad bacteria and how to replace those bad bacteria, maybe we could make sort of like a probiotic instead of doing like actual fecal material. And um, that's like one avenue. So sort of like how can we engineer fecal transplants to like not be fecal transplants? The other is sort of like trying to eliminate a lot of those factors that I already talked about. So um, one thing that they're currently talking about and I think would probably be the best is uh, it's called autologous transplant. And that's where kind of like uh what is it uh umbilical cord mm -hmm. stem cells that was out for a bit it may still be out there but instead when you're healthy they take a sample and store your healthy fecal yeah, matter like a safe point. yeah exactly yeah. in case that happens i'm i've already pooped in a bag and it's in the freezer oh great yeah just here just here oh fantastic do you want some no i'm good okay it wouldn't be autologous uh, then. Be, uh, oh that is true that is true yeah. well not what it's called. Oh, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe what it is. is it maybe it is. I don't. <laughs> that's not on my list. I didn't want to talk about that because that's the that's what we're doing now. Yeah, that's what we're doing now. So autologous is where you like you save your own poop. Uh, the other is a direct donor, and that's like very similar. Where like you reach out to your brother for like a kidney or your sister for a kidney. Yeah. Instead, you want their fecal matter. You know, but I think that is more that plays. Or that may not work in every case because like I live here in Arizona and my brother lives in New York and we live very different lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So like if I asked him for some to help me or if he asked me for some to help him, 
Would it be as helpful? Will it be as helpful? Lived in the same household, exactly. eating the same meals, lived similar lifestyles. Because the idea with the organ transplant of having someone who's genetically close to you is the idea of immunological recognition. Yeah. I, do, I think it's very open to how, what role does immune, uh, the immune system play in this um, microbiome-mediated human health yeah. questions. Um, <clears throat> yes, good. I lost track of myself, but I'm back. I'm here, I'm ready to go. Good, yeah, so then there's also the other idea of like having a... So this is like a stool bank and a pooled stool bank from healthy patients. So they kind of just like collect a bunch of stool. I should say stool pool. instead of fecal matter. Yeah. So, I don't know, stool is even worse. Why did Mike want to talk about poop today? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so like they have a bank of just like healthy stool that they know works on people. That's also kind of like a crapshoot that's kind of like uh, mystical or whatever, but like, I don't know. I would like that. I would, I would, I would eat stool if I was sick with one of these things. Yeah, I would in I no would doubt. I would probably do anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other, and like this is probably like more um, tangible to people and probably an easier thing to digest, it's sort of like to make probiotics better. And that basically comes from, I mean, probiotics now are just putting a bunch of bacteria in a pill, it dying, most of it dying in your stomach, and then it's some of it going through. And it's usually like one to five species, wow. right? Like in your gut, there's like millions of species. And like that diversity plays a large role. And I think what really helps a lot of these patients getting better. Um, but... You know, all these things really need to be considered when turning these fecal transplants into sort of like a mainstream drug. Because what they want to do is sort of like not only for these gastrointestinal diseases, but also shift it to like patients with obesity or patients with insomnia or patients who have, um, I think a lab here looks at how the gut microbiome of autistic children can be directly linked to their behavior, right? So if you can transplant a healthy patient's stool into an autistic kid, they'll become less autistic. That was probably not the right way to say it. But, but like, yeah, like their behavior will change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> oh, maybe we should get him on and introduce him. Or interview him. He would be fun. Yes. Their new postdoc. Oh. I love him. He's a cool kid. But yeah, I think like overall, and this is like the second time I think I've said, no, it's probably the 10th time I've said this on this podcast. This is the only thing I want anyone to take home. If you can sign up for a clinical trial, sign up for a clinical trial. If someone wants to sign you up for a clinical trial to eat poop, Go sign ahead. up. Yeah. Sign up real quickly. Try new things. Try new things. Get outside your box. If at first it doesn't work, try it again. And then <laughs> if it doesn't work again, don't try it a third I mean, time. At, at the advice of a doctor. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's it for this episode. Do you have any... Because you had a really good, like, yeah. wonderful piece at the end of last... Yeah, no, the take home. 
can, can, when you participate in clinical trials, you are directly directly participating in science, which is a really cool experience in itself. Even if you're not the scientist, but you're the experiment itself is actually kind of even cooler than being the scientist, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, like Mike said, if you come across a clinical trial which you are uniquely qualified for, please consider doing it. They oftentimes give you money. Sometimes they do give you money. I almost signed up for one that would give me money, but I was writing my thesis, so I couldn't devote time to that. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, it's about compensation like that. But yeah, definitely those data points are needed to improve these treatments and technologies. So thanks, guys. Thank you, and see you or hear you listen to us next time. We we can feel you listening to us. Until next time. Bye. No, what do we say? I I don't think we have an exit. No. Okay. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Microscope, brought to you by WISP. To learn more, join us on the web at wispmedia.com slash microscope. M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E. We'll see you next time.